So, um, we are in a series, uh, a series that is titled uh, Emotionally Healthy Spiritual Discipleship. And so, uh, this is the fifth uh, of the series. Uh, and so, what we've gone through is what we have established is that, you know, in the whole process of making disciples, uh, the important thing in as much as being obedient to the call of making disciples, we also need to make sure that we're healthy disciples. Right, we're healthy disciples, and uh, what we've covered is um, some of the marks of a healthy disciple, some of the things that we need to consider. Uh, we've spoken about uh, character, maturity. We've spoken about being before doing, which is very, which is very critical. We've spoken about um, not just uh, belonging in community, but also participating. Uh, and last week, we spoke about boundaries. All right. And so this morning, uh, we are continuing, right? And so if you're sitting here and not downstairs, uh, I'm going to assume that you are not in children's discipleship and therefore you are an adult, right? And if you're an adult, uh, I can safely assume that um, at some point in your life, you've, you've heard these words, right? Uh, have you considered? Have you considered, Right? So these words uh, follow us throughout all of life. So these words can come to us right before a big decision or a stupid decision sometimes. Someone coming alongside and seeing that we're about to go into devastation and said, hey, uh, have you considered this? All right? Um, Kamo just shared here some of the students and uh, some of the subjects uh, that they've had to choose and we can all remember uh, through high school uh, coming across this question, have you considered these subjects? Because this is important, right? Um, in a couple of years' time, uh, this will de determine, define what you study, and that will in turn determine, define um, where you're going to work or what qualification you're going to get, right? Um, have you considered where you want to stay? Have you considered where you want to work? Because all of these things, when you put them together, you have to count the cost. You have to think about uh, commuting, the transport. You have to think about what this will do for your time, right? Have you considered the kind of person um, that you want to date, that you want to get married to? All these things matter. So what I'm trying to angle towards is that there is a general cost to life, right? insignificant or insignificant. Uh, we all understand this at some level, right? Uh, but for some reason, when we come to the Christian faith, these rules disappear. Uh, they do not apply, right? For some reason, when we come to the Christian faith, uh, we live a very, very minimalistic Christian life uh, that requires no cost uh, from us. All right? <laughs> so our Christian walk, it's minimalistic, it costs us nothing, uh, it doesn't cost us our time, uh, it doesn't cost us our plans. Can I just pause? Should I switch? I shouldn't switch. Okay, cool. Thank you, guys. So our Christian walk, it's minimalistic. It doesn't, it doesn't cost us anything, right? It doesn't cost us our time, it doesn't cost us our plans, our treasures, our visions, our dreams. It costs us nothing. All right, and so if you're sitting here, you're wondering, man, um, third way, emotionally healthy spiritual discipleship, right? What's, what's this? We are, we are, 
right? And so what I'm saying is that, not actually not what I'm saying, but what we'll discover later on, what Jesus says is that emotionally healthy spiritual discipleship requires a cost. There's a cost to be considered, right? And so we'll be exploring what some of these costs look like. And so our main text for the morning uh, will be Luke 14, uh, 25 to 33. Um, So you can open your Bible. It's going to be up there. Uh, You can follow with me on your devices. And so this is what it says. Now great crowds accompanied him, and he turned and said to them, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters... Yes, and even his own life. He cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not bear his, his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you, desiring to build a tower, does not first sit down and count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it? Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation, he is not able to finish. All who see it begin to mock him, saying, This man begin to begin, began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king going out to encounter another king in war will not sit down first and deliberate whether he is able with 10,000 to meet him who has against him with 20,000? And if not, while the other is yet, yet a great way off, he sends a delegation and asks for terms of peace. So therefore, any of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. Let's pray. Lord, um, these are very, very tough words, but very, very loving words. And so, even as we enter this space, Lord, um, as, we, as we meditate on this, Lord, as we hear from you, uh, I'm praying that we come here with just really malleable hearts, hearts that are willing to hear from you, hearts that are willing to be convicted. Um, I pray, Lord Jesus, that even the words that we, uh, the words that we just sang, no, Lord, that those, those are words um, from our heart that is being genuine, Lord, that... Uh, Lord, we want to go into the great beyond the unknown as long as we're with you, Lord. So I'm praying that through this message, Lord, um, we're really transformed, that we get to see the bigger picture. Uh, But all of this, um, just under the banner that you've paid it all, uh, that you've done it all, Lord. And so we have the high priest that has gone before us, that has has paid the ultimate cost. But even in that, Lord, may we follow suit. So, Lord, um, whatever comes out of me, may it come from you. Uh, may it be your words and not my words, Lord. And just praying for each and every heart that is here, Lord. Whatever it is that they came with, whatever they were carrying, Lord. Uh, I pray that they may know that this is a safe space to be. Uh, this is a safe space to be vulnerable, Lord. Especially before you as you minister to their hearts. So, Lord, we want to thank you. We want to give this to you. In your name we pray. Amen. So what we, what we see here is that uh, as we enter the scriptures, uh, Jesus' stock is rising, right? Um, he's, he's probably well ahead in the polls. Uh, left, right, center, Jesus Christ is healing people, um, performing miracle after miracle. In certain instances, there's even free food, right? So, so his, stock, his stock is rising, right? And as was custom... Uh, people were following Jesus Christ, right? But as was custom, Jesus made things weird, right? Jesus made things very, very awkward, 
And so Jesus didn't mind uh, being awkward. He didn't mind uh, telling the truth, going straight into it, because Jesus didn't mind emptying a room of 5,000 and just being there with just the 10, right? And so what we see here is that Jesus goes straight into it, right? He says, if you truly follow me, this, this is the cost. Uh, verse 26, he says, if you're to truly follow me, uh, you should hate your family. And verse, the next verse, verse 27, he continues to even go further. And he says that you should even bear your own cross. And so what Jesus says here has been debated over the ages, right? Uh, is Jesus being literal or is Jesus being figurative? Right? And part of, this is, part of it is because, on the one hand, if we, if we go to the one, say, one side and say that Jesus is being literal, uh, then this looks like Jesus is being very harsh. It's almost impossible. Uh, Jesus, how do you expect me to, to, to be this harsh, to hate my family? How do you expect me uh, to take up the cross? But on the one side, if we say that this is figurative, we almost open ourselves up to interpretation. We open, us, we open ourselves up to a watered-down idea of what Jesus is saying here, right? And so I'm sure most of you would want to know, Kenny, is this literal or figurative? <laughs> but, before, but before that, we first have to understand that uh, Jesus isn't preaching hatred for, for family, right? And all you have to do is go through the whole of Scripture, right? And so... As part of the one, the one of the Ten Commandments, um, it says, honor, honor your mother and honor your father. And also in Scripture, uh, in Timothy, Paul would say that the, the person that does not take care of their family, even their relatives, is worse than an unbeliever. All right? So what we can establish then is that what Jesus is saying here, what he isn't saying is, hate your family. What, what Jesus is preaching here is absolute surrender, self-denial, self renouncing of everything to follow him. And so some of these examples that Jesus gives, uh, for, for us, they may, they may not land, right? And part of it is because uh, we really, really, we, 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 we exist in a very individualistic society, right? So our idea of family isn't really the same as it was for the ancient Jew. Right? Even our idea of when we look at the cross, it's a little bit different. It's very sanitized. This side of the cross, the cross for us is it's a picture of hope, right? Of something that has been. But for the ancient Jew, when they look at the cross, the, the cross was a, a thing of torture. It was the worst death. So we kind of look at, look at this very differently. But for the ancient Jew, these words of Jesus Christ would have landed, right? And so on whatever scope um, or spectrum they would have interpreted this, right? Uh, the whole idea of allegiance to someone else other than family, it was pretty much the same as hating your own family, right? So we have to understand that uh, the, the makeup of the ancient Jewish family, uh, you, you did not have your own individual identity. You belonged to a unit. You, you did not have an identity outside of that family. There was no idea of going to find myself, right? There's no idea of going to find yourself. And so we even, we even see this with Jesus Christ, right? Uh, people look at him and they're like, wait, is this, is this Jesus, son of Joseph, 
right? From that obscure town. And part of the reason why, why they looked at Jesus that way is because he belonged to an obscure family, right? And that was his identity. He was not separate for that, from that. So for someone to have an allegiance to anyone but their family, uh, that was almost hatred for their own family. And even the whole idea of taking up the cross, right? Taking up the cross was basically, uh, you are telling me to willingly take this thing of Roman torture, right? And so what they're saying there is that uh, being on the cross basically says that you are denying yourself. It's, it's a one-way ticket to death, right? And so back to the literal or figurative, right? And my answer is yes. <laughs> the answer is yes. The whole point is, however you interpret it, right? Jesus is saying one thing, verse 33, renounce it all, right? And so here's the kicker. There were some people that actually ended up on the cross because of their allegiance to Jesus Christ. There were people that literally died on the cross, there were, there were people that also literally had to renounce their families because of allegiance to Jesus Christ, right? So however you look at this, literal or figurative, the key is Jesus is saying absolute allegiance to me, right? And so after this, um, after laying this hard truth, Jesus re- reiterates the whole idea of counting the cost in verse 28 to 30, 30, 32, and he speaks about someone that's about to build a structure and someone who's about to go to war. Um, and at a fundamental level, what Jesus is saying is that um, when you come to me, you come to me in my, at my term, terms and conditions, right? There is no custom-built discipleship, right? Yeah. It's Jesus' terms or the other, the other highway, Right? And so there is no custom-made discipleship for those that want to pursue Christ hard every day. There is no custom discipleship for those who want to pursue Christ as a weekend getaway. Right. And so, family, discipleship that doesn't require cost creates unhealthy, weak-willed disciples who in turn create unhealthy environments. And so these unhealthy environments, um, they're shallow, nothing grows there, nothing of eternal significance. This is weak-willed disciples who are only Christian when it's convenient, right? So this, uh, these are the disciples that, you know what, I'm following Christ as long as Christ aligns with my vision, with my goals. As long as there's a... Uh, for, uh, for, as soon as there's a speed hump in the journey, and then they check out, like, this isn't what I signed up for. And so Jesus Christ is saying, consider the cost. Consider the cost. So this quote from John Stott sums it up well. And he says, the Christian landscape is strewn with the wreckage of derelict half-built towers, the ruins of those who began to build and were unable to finish. For thousands of people still ignore Christ's warning and undertake undertake to follow him without first pausing to reflect on the cost of doing so. The result is a great scandal of Christendom today. So-called nominal Christians, uh, Christians in air quotes, uh, get somewhat involved, enough to be respectable but not enough to be uncomfortable. 
their religion is, is a great soft cushion that protects them from the hard unpleasantness of life, but doesn't transform their lives in radical ways. No wonder cynics dismiss religion as escapism. Let's count the cost. There is a cost. So while we've covered that, while we've established that there is a cost, right, and we need to count that cost, I'm going to have a closer look at what some of those costs look like. All right, and so the cost for emotional, emotionally healthy spiritual discipleship will be it will cost our will and desires. It will cost us our time, treasures, and talents. It will cost us relational comfort. And it will cost us our pride. So, first one. It will cost us our will and desires. So, we read this text earlier. This is uh, Luke 14, 27, where Jesus says, Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. And so I already mentioned the, co- the context of, of this verse that um, in as much as maybe for us it's, uh, it doesn't carry as much weight, uh, the weight is the fact that Jesus is saying complete allegiance. And so if we to ponder a bit on what it means to bear the cross, it means we have no control over our life. We would be powerless, would be bound, unable to move. We are subject to our captor. The cost for us would be our will, our desires, our agency. And the great thing in this moment is that uh, while we have no will, no desire, no agency, we cede this to Jesus Christ. And so Jesus Christ becomes the one who drives our will, becomes the one that drives our desires. And in all honesty, this may sound offensive and maybe it might grind us, but more than likely it's because we don't trust Jesus Christ. Right? We don't trust him. And, and sometimes we, we have this little cute thing where we... Um, it looks like we trust Jesus Christ because we do this thing where we uh, make the decisions, right? We're like, hey, um, I'm taking up this job. Uh, it's, it's on the moon, but it's a great opportunity. And can you pray with me? It's like, but you were like, yeah, there's no community there, <laughs> right? How are you going to survive? <laughs> you know? And, and so, so the whole thing is we, we make these decisions and then we ask Jesus to come right at the end. We ask community to come right at the end. Well, in truth, is that what we've done is we've made the decision. Uh, we've, we've exercised our will and desires because we are afraid that if we present this before Jesus, uh, before community, someone might just say, I don't think this is a good idea. Yeah. I don't think this is a good idea. But if we do trust him, Right, if we do trust that he's got our ultimate interest in mind, then we we are constantly seeking out his will and desire for our lives. We're constantly trying to see how our careers, extracurricular activities, how they can serve the kingdom, how they can restore and redeem what is broken in our spaces. Man, I mean, just going back to that, right? 
just going back to that, basically, uh, like I said, we are a well-resourced community, right? And perhaps instead of looking at what you have, what your career, instead of saying, man, let me, let me graft hard so that I can get a, get a better paycheck, so that I can climb the corporate ladder. Let me graft hard so that I can give all of this to the ones that don't have it, that don't have access to it. Let me graft hard, make time so that those who don't have access can get this. Being the hands and feet of Jesus Christ. And so we also seek him out, even if it doesn't gel with our plans. If we, even if we know that there's disappointment waiting on the other side, we still seek him out. Which then moves us to our second one. It will cost us our time, treasure, and talents. I know this is everyone's favorite. It's like nervous giggle, like, ah. <laughs> <laughs> And so with this one, Jesus, Jesus had many encounters, right? And I think it's, it's one of those interesting things in that of all, this, of all the encounters that Jesus had, man, um, a lot of the time, people, people come to Jesus and say, man, I want this, I want this, I want this. And Jesus gives them terms and conditions. And they're like, shoot, I don't think I can, I can accept this. And then they just walk away and we never, we never hear about them. Right? And I, I'm more comfortable with that uh, than a half-hearted walk into this. Right? That's healthier. And so what we, what we encounter here. Um, is another memorable encounter of Jesus Christ with the rich young ruler. This is from Mark 10, uh, verse 17 to 22, and it reads as, uh, And as he was setting out on his journey, a man ran up and knelt before him and asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit in eternal life? And Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments, do not murder do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not bear false witness, do not defraud, honor father and mother. And he said to him, teacher, all these I have kept from my youth. And Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said to him, man, it's just like, it's like a whole sermon of Jesus, just like loving him this way, right? So he loves him and he says, um, you lack one thing. Sell all that you have and give to the poor. And you'll have treasure in heaven and come follow me. Disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. So what's happening is Jesus Christ strikes at the heart of the rich young ruler. And he strikes at our hearts as well. Right? So perhaps you're sitting here and you're like, man, um, I'm not rich. I'm not the, like the rich young ruler. But when we look at the demographics of us sitting here, when you look at South Africa as a whole, man, if you know where your next meal is coming from, you don't even know what it looks like, but if you know where your next meal is coming from, then you're rich. Then you have great possessions. You have more than what you need. I have more than what I need. So I love what Jesus does here. He gives him some affirmation. Man, this, this is remarkable. 
right? So, so in all fairness, Jesus literally could have said, uh, go give everything away to the poor and follow me. And that still would have been enough. I actually think in certain instances, that's what Jesus says. But in, in this instance, it gives an affirmation. He says, go give everything that you have and you will get treasures in heaven. So he says there is, there is actually a gain in this. There is a gain. But what it exposes here, man, is his, his heart. And it exposes that sometimes our earthly treasures and talents are more valuable to us than the treasures in heaven. And so because they're so valuable to us, they give us a false sense of identity and security. And so we end up approaching Jesus Christ as an add-on. We approach Jesus as if he's a part ingredient in our life. Whereas Jesus is supposed to be the whole thing. And so Jesus respond by, responds by saying basic to him, man, I, I want to strip you of everything you have. I want you to give up everything you have because I want you to have true security. And true security can only be found in Jesus Christ. And he's saying instead of building your house on sand, uh, build it on the solid rock, the solid foundation that is Jesus Christ. And you'll find your security and identity all in him. Then our third one, it will cost us our relational comfort. So what does this mean? It means that we don't get to choose who gets to be in our family, right? We don't get to choose um, who I'm going to vibe with, um, yeah, who I'm going to hang out with, who I'm going to love. So you guys know that saying, um, uh, you can't, you don't get to choose your family. Uh, this is a saying that we're going to see a lot in December uh, being posted. Uh, so, so get ready for that. But you, you don't get to choose your family, right? Well, guess what? You also don't get to choose your blackboard family, right? So everyone, yeah, this is us, man. This is us. And so there's a famous verse in John. Uh, I love it. Um, it's John 13, 35. And what Jesus basically says is, um, by this all people will know that you are my disciples. Let's see. If you, you sure? Is it not if you share common interests? If you maybe believe in the same doctrines? Not? Okay. Or if you attend church every Sunday. So yeah, so love one another. Uh, sorry, uh, by these people you know that you're my disciples if you have love for one another. And so Jesus is saying, not only do you not get to choose these in your family, you have to love those people. And so church, do you know who Jesus is saying this to? This has always been remarkable, Right? So the crowd that's in there, the people that are in there, are basically, in any other context, they would have been at each other's necks, right? These are people that they would have killed each other in any other context. This is the modern-day equivalent, right, of putting EFF, ANC, DA, 
BLF, vaxxers, anti-vaxxers, and the people that are in the middle in one room and saying, love one another. Guys, this is supernatural. This is supernatural. And so the one thing, though, the truth is that with the advent of social media, social media has allowed us to pick and follow whoever, whoever we want, whatever we want. At a base level, it's a transactional relationship. It's what do I want from you, right? I will not follow you if there's no benefit to this. Even the algorithm is designed that way. It will suggest things of interest. So if you go to my YouTube, um, the things that the algorithm will give me, it will be baking stuff, it will be uh, movies, uh, critique and reviewing of movies, and yeah, you will not find hiking. <laughs> right? You, it's not my interest. Right? But unfortunately, uh, that is not the algorithm of, algorithm of discipleship. Right? You don't get to pick our interests. You don't get to pick who we love. We don't get to pick who gets to be in the room with us. It will cost us. It will cost us relational comfort. So when we're able to love those who are different from us, uh, then true grace has worked in our hearts. And this is where we get to foster deep, deep relationships. Right? Love is, the, love is one of the cornerstones of Christianity. Uh, there's something very absurd of, uh, about, about saying like, man, um, I've been loved deeply. I've been loved in the most amazing way. And yet I'm unable to love someone that looks different from me, votes differently, has got different interests. Right? And so people look, they, they look into the church and like, man, uh, these people, they all look different. You know, something amazing, something supernatural is happening here. But all of that comes at a cost. Man, guys, uh, Monday to Friday can't be more diverse than Sundays. It doesn't, it makes absolutely no sense. Right? So as we move along, so the fourth, the last one for the morning, um, it will cost us our pride. And for this, we read from Mark 10, verses 43 to 45. Uh, this is the New Living Translation. It says, but among you, it will be different. Whoever wants to be a leader among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first among you must be the slave of everyone else. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve others, and to give his life as a ransom for many. And so the context here is simple, right? Disciples clamoring uh, for positions of leadership, positions of power. Um, very simply put, they wanted power, authority, influence, right? And this is something that we, we see uh, happening daily in an office, in a boardroom somewhere. Everyone is just trying to clamor for power, for influence. Everyone is trying to clamor to be at the top of the pile, right? And once we get there, once we've amassed all this power, all this recognition, we use it for selfish gain. And where we've seen this, this kind of worldview, where we've seen this kind of mindset operating in churches, we've seen a serious abuse of power, uh, toxic, toxic leadership, 
a trail of destruction because people have used their influence for selfish gain instead of saying, how can I serve my brother and my sister? People have ascended these positions and um, at the core of it, the truth of the matter is uh, they felt that, you know what, this, this is actually to serve me, but under the guise of spiritualism. All right. Or as Jesus Christ is saying, man, uh, your ascent to the top comes from the bottom. Your ascent from the top comes from the bottom. And so what we see, funny enough, is later in this passage, if you read further downwards, it says that um, this clamoring of power, the result of it was that uh, the, the rest of the disciples uh, felt indignation towards everyone. Is this what we see in the world every day? The toxic workplaces, everyone's just trying to get to the top. And when we do this very same thing in our community, the same thing happens. And so what will, what will usually happen, though, is that um, we will dress all of this up in uh, spiritualism, right? Uh, we will say, no, you know what? This, this is for everyone else. I just want people to be in a better space. But it, the truth of the matter is, this is to elevate me. This is to put the spotlight on me. Right, and so what will what will usually happen is that someone loving will come along and say, "Hey, I have noticed something. I've noticed that what you're doing it looks great from the outside. It looks like it's serving the community, right? But it feels like it's mostly about you, your own ambitions, your own desires." Church, I have to have this self introspection, right? When I come up here. When I share the word, I have to have that self-introspection. Man, one of my prayers is, man, when I come up here, I want to like, babble. I want to stutter as long as I tell the truth. What I don't want to do is come up here, be eloquent, make the right jokes, give you the zingers and the punchlines. And at the, at the end of the day, you guys are like, man, Kenny, that was great. Instead of, man, uh, I'm convicted. Uh, Jesus Christ said something. Right, and so even when we come up here, our, our posture is that we are we are serving you, man. We're not speaking down, man. The, these messages read us first uh, a week, two weeks before before we even put them out here, and we have to wrestle with this. And so going back to this, so someone will come along and say, "I have noticed this. Um, it's about you, more about you." Think about it and, you know, you go think about it, meditate on it, say, hey, it is actually about me. Um, need to be serving instead of maybe loading, of it, loading it over people. And so if we do, if we're successful and you listen, man, that's great. But unfortunately, if we don't listen, right, if we say like, man, I'll still continue on this path, when we reach the end, uh, we'll be saying to Jesus Christ, Lord, Lord, did I not do this in your name? Lord, Lord, I did this. Lord, Lord, this. And Jesus Christ will say, depart from me for I never knew you. Because Jesus Christ will see through our hearts. You'll see that all of this is actually more about you more than anything. And so Jesus says, if you want to be a leader, if you want to be first, be the first one in the morning and the last to leave. 
set the table for others to eat first and eat last. And so what I love about this is that um, in an environment where everyone's doing that for one another, right? Everyone's just, everyone's just fighting to serve the next person. It's like, you want to you wanna, you wanna be the one that eat, eats last? It's okay, I'll eat last. You can go forth, you know. I love this whole picture of um, when you arrive at a, at a four-way stop and you all are literally arrive at the same time, right? So I love the instances where both of you are just like, no, you, no, you, no, no, you go, no, you go, you know? And it's, it's very heartwarming. It's almost like um, faith in humanity restored, right? But then there are those instances where both of you arrive at the same time and both of you feel like you are entitled to going first even though there's no base. And guess what happens? Accident, right? So where we're in a community that's a, no, you, no, you go first, no, you go first, right? No one ever has to worry uh, that, you know what, uh, I'm not being served because we are constantly serving one another. No one ever has to worry that, man, uh, this is beneath me. I'm not going to do this, right? And so we have a range of people here, right? We are all at different parts of our journey in our careers, right? So the lovely thing is you walk in here, man. You take off your title, whatever it is, and you come and you serve, right? You come and you serve. And for that, there is a cost, but it's a worthy cost. And so just some questions to help us recap. If Jesus Christ wasn't in my life, would I budget, spend the same way that I do now? If Jesus Christ was in my life, uh, would how I spend time look the same? Right? And if Jesus Christ was in my life, would my life goals and ambitions look the same? And the last one, if Jesus Christ wasn't in my life, would my circle of friends look the same? Right? So whatever, whatever answers you have, this is just something to really think about deeply. Whatever answers you have on whatever side of the spectrum you fall on, right? Wrestle with that. Wrestle with that. And so in closing... All of these things, they're extremely difficult. They're very hard to swallow. Man, I struggled through this. So I'm just like, man, I, I'm needing to constantly reevaluate the cost as well, right? Going from being a single man to being married, to being married with a, uh, with a child, it's constantly changing. But the call to surrender, the call to total allegiance to Jesus Christ does not change. There's no off day, guys. And so this isn't meant to scare us, but with sober judgment, allow us to assess if this is really what we want. Remember I told you guys, like when we were going through the rich, rich young ruler, uh, he, just, he just walked away, and a lot of the time, that's, that's what happened. You know, people hear hard truth, and they just walk away. That's, that's, it's better to do that, Right? And we'll see, or very soon we'll see why. Because Jesus doesn't want, he doesn't want us to hesitantly come to him. Uh, He doesn't want us to come halfway. He doesn't want people that are going to be fence sitters. 
when we do this, we run the risk of thinking we're in, while in truth we're far off. There's this very famous scripture in Revelations where Jesus is speaking to one of the churches. It's not going to be up there, but it's Revelations 3.15. So what Jesus says, basically says to the church, he says, I wish you were hot or cold. I wish you were either or. But because you're lukewarm, I'm about to vomit you out of my mouth. Half-hearted, halfway Christianity, it's not the safe space that we think it is. Right? It's better to know right now that I'm not in rather than go at this half-heartedly and reach the end and have Jesus say, I wish you were hot or cold. I wish you were hot or cold. But with these hard words, there is great comfort, especially for us living on the other side of the cross. And here it is. Jesus paid the ultimate cost. Jesus paid the ultimate cost. This is, uh, this is great hope for us because uh, this is the equivalent of, of my daughter coming back from home. Right? She wants a snack. Right? Um, I'm like, all you have to do is just, you know, first wash your hands and pack your bag. Uh, that is the cost of getting a snack, right? It's a, very, it's a very, very small cost, right? But to her, it's a big cost, right? But in the greatest scheme of things, I've paid the ultimate cost with my 9 to 5, uh, Monday to Friday, uh, with doing the grocery list, with mommy and I going and buying these things, budgeting for all these things, We've paid the ultimate cost. So she gets to do this in a very safe environment, right? So for, for us, our safe environment is the fact that Jesus paid it all. He's paid the ultimate price. And Jesus isn't asking us to go anywhere that he hasn't gone. And what we see here in Jesus Christ is a boundless being. He descends into time, uh, subject to the laws of nature, he takes the place of a lowly servant, um, subjects himself to all the complexities that come with being in the flesh. He subjects himself to the complexities of relationships, and some of them actually cost him. Right? He comes to not just the lowly tribe, he comes to a lowly family. Right? And then Jesus pays the ultimate price by dying, or dying the worst kind of death. And it's through this death, through his resurrection, that we are reunited with our Father in heaven. And so my hope, my hope this morning is that, man, I, um, this, is, this is a very hard word. The scripture itself is just very hard. It's just one of those that we skip over. But my hope is that when we look at the cost, when we look at uh, when we count the cost of following Jesus Christ, we do it through the lens of that Jesus Christ has paid the ultimate cost, the ultimate price. And so I'm hoping through that, the whole idea of paying the cost, we, we don't look at it with as much dread, but we look at it with hope. Let's pray. Lord, um, first and foremost, we... Uh, we want to declare that it is finished. We want to declare that you have paid it all. 
And so, Lord, we have this great comfort that you've gone ahead of us, Lord. Uh, that you are not asking us to go anywhere where you have not gone, Lord. You're not asking us to do anything that you have not done, Lord. Lord, all of us, myself included, we are weak-willed people. We are weak-willed people, Lord. More often than not, we just want a base level of Christianity. And so, Lord, our plea, our plea this morning is convict us. Uh, convict us where we're giving the bare minimum. Convict us where we're just going halfway, Lord. It's not as safe as it looks. Show us, Lord, that, man, in, in giving up all of this, all these things that define us, all of these things that we hold on to, uh, all of these things that we live through vicariously, Lord, that all of these things, they will amount to nothing. That the true treasure, a real treasure, is in heaven. A true treasure is found in following you fully. And with whatever the world has to offer, Lord, I pray that you may continue to strengthen us, not just for us to walk alone on this journey, Lord, but in such a, a diverse transcultural community with different experiences, Lord, that we would encourage one another, um, stir one another towards good works, stir one another towards uh, sacrificial living. That each and every day, Lord, we will be able to, to count the cost of following you. Move us to deeper waters, Lord, we ask. In your name we pray. Amen.